Hello and welcome to the third episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales. As before, first there'll be the story, then a chat about the significance of the fairy tale and the food that's in it, and then there'll be the recipe. This week's story is called Jesper and the Hares. It's a Scandinavian folk tale, and a version is available in the Violet Fairy Book by Andrew Lang. There was once a king who ruled over a kingdom somewhere between sunrise and sunset. It was as small as kingdoms usually were in the olden days, and when the king went up to the roof of his palace, he could see the end of it in all directions. But as it was his own, he was very proud of it, and he wondered what would happen to it without him. He had only one child, a daughter. Sadly, as was the way of things then, he didn't feel that she could rule alone, so would need to be provided with a husband. This husband would need to be fit to be a king after him. What kept him up at night was he needed to be rich enough and more importantly, clever enough to be a suitable match for the princess. At long last, he came up with a plan. He made a proclamation across all of his kingdom and asked his neighbours if they would publish it as well. The proclamation was as follows. Whoever bought him 12 of the most beautiful pearls he had ever seen and could perform the task that the king set him would be married to his daughter, the princess, and eventually become king. He thought he had all of his bases covered because only a very rich man would be able to bring the pearls and the task would show that he had his wits about him. There were lots who tried to fulfil the conditions. Rich merchants and foreign princes presented themselves one after the other, so that on some days it was really quite annoying. But although all of them could produce the most beautiful pearls, not one among them could complete even the simplest task that was set them. On the other hand, there were also some adventurers that turned up. They probably could have completed the tasks, or at least had a good go, But sadly, they tried to convince the king that the pearls they bought with him were real, and he wasn't that easily deceived. As the pearls were a really big part of the condition, they were sent about their way. The stream of suitors slowed almost to a stop over the next few weeks, and still there was no prospect of a suitable son-in-law. Now, as it happened, in a corner of the king's dominions, which, as we've already spoken about, wasn't really that far from the palace, there was a fisherman who had three sons, Peter, Paul and Jasper. The two elder brothers were much bigger and stronger than the younger, but Jasper was definitely the cleverest of the three, although in the way of big brothers neither Peter or Paul will admit this. One day, the fisherman went out in his boat, and as part of his actually very successful catch for him that day, he came back with three dozen huge oysters. When these oysters were opened, each one was found to contain the most beautiful pearl, After quite a lot of rows and even more shouting, it was decided that each of the boys would pick pearls by lot and they would get their chance in order of age. The rows would have gone on even longer, but the fisherman had had to put his foot down. Obviously, if the eldest was successful, the other two would be saved the trouble of trying. So, bright and early next day, Peter packed up his pearls into a small basket and headed off towards the palace. He hadn't gone very far along his way when he came across the King of the Ants and the King of the Beetles, who were facing each other, preparing for battle with their armies behind them. Come and help me, said the King of the Ants. The Beetles are too big for us, and I may help you one day in return. Peter, who was never very helpful, said unfortunately he didn't have time to help people, and they'd have to get on with it without him, the best they could. 
So he travelled further along the path, and then met an old lady. You're up early, said the old lady. What have you got in your basket? Obviously that is a little bit inquisitive, but Peter was really rather unforgivably rude. Cinders, he said, and pushed past her, and carried on along the way to the palace. Very well, cinders be it, said the old woman, calling after him, but Peter pretended not to hear. As we've discussed before, the kingdom wasn't really that big, so Peter reached the palace very soon after this. He was brought before the king, and the king and the court and everybody marvelled over the beauty of the pearls. But then, a strange thing started to happen. The pearls began to lose their whiteness, and grew dim, and their gleam completely disappeared. Then at last they grew blacker and blacker, until all that remained in the basket was a heap of cinders. Peter was so amazed he didn't know what to say for himself. But the king had plenty to say for both of them, and Peter was glad enough to run away back to his father's house. Now I bet some of you are thinking he really brought this upon himself, and who am I to argue? Now, Peter wasn't going to admit what had happened. He just told everyone it was a failure, and that Paul would have to try the next day. He was really miffed, though. Paul was convinced he would do a better job, and the next day he set out for the palace with his pearls in another little basket. He soon came across the king of the ants and the king of the beetles. We had a really bad time of it yesterday, said the king of the ants. Please won't you help me? I may help you some day in return. Paul was, if possible, even ruder than his brother to the king of the ants. I just don't have time, he said, to help other people with their problems. You carry on and do what you have to do. He walked on, and strangely, met the same old lady as yesterday. Good morning, she said. What have you got in your basket? Cinders, he said very rudely, and pushed past the lady to get further on the path. The old lady was really cross at his lack of manners, and shouted after him, Well, cinders be it. Paul pretended he didn't hear her. You will not be surprised to hear that the same thing happened to Paul in the presence of the king as had happened to Peter. If anything, he ran away even faster back home. He was even sulkier than Peter had been, and was frankly difficult to live with. So, it was finally Jasper's turn, and on the third day he packed his little basket with the pearls, had his breakfast, listening to his brothers making rude comments and telling him I definitely couldn't be able to do it if they couldn't do it. Jasper sensibly didn't say anything and just set off for the palace. As he walked, he came across the king and the ants and the king of the beetles, marshalling their forces for a third day of fighting. The ants were significantly reduced in numbers and it really didn't look as though they'd be able to hold out the day. Please come and help us, said the king of the ants to Jasper. Or be completely defeated. I may be able to help you in return some day. Now Jasper, who really wasn't very keen on beetles, having had to brush them out of the hut one too many times, but he'd heard really good things about ants. They were industrious and got things done. So he decided to help the ants and charged onto the battlefield. Now obviously he was much bigger than the beetles, and when they saw his great galumphing feet heading for them, they ran away. The ones he hadn't squashed already, that was. The king of the ants was thrilled. And he made the most eloquent speech, which is unusual for an ant, really. And it made Jasper smile. But he hid it from the ants, as he didn't want them to think he was mocking them. The king of the ants went on to say, Just call on me at any time. If I can help you, I'll be there. Jasper didn't really think the ants would ever be able to help him, but he didn't wish to be unkind, so he just nodded to the king and accepted his thanks. Jasper continued on his journey. And, you'll be unsurprised to hear, 
The old lady came out of the bushes as he walked past. Good morning, she said. What have you got in your basket? Jesper, who had much better manners than his brother, turned to the woman and said, Look, pearls, opening his basket to show her. I'm off to the palace to see if I can marry the princess. Those are just beautiful, said the woman. Unfortunately, they won't go very far towards winning the princess if you can't complete the tasks that are set for you. However, she said, I see you've got something with you to eat. Why don't you give that to me? You'll get a good dinner at the palace. Jasper hadn't thought of this, so cheerfully handed over his lunch, even though they were his favourite cheese and onion sandwiches. He'd already headed on a few more steps when the old lady called him back. Here, she said, have this in exchange for your lunch. Handing him an old, slightly battered whistle. It isn't much to look at, she said. But if you blow it, anything that's been taken from you or that you've lost will return to you instantly. Jesper, remembering his manners, thanked her for the whistle and walked on to the palace. He couldn't really see what good it would do him right now, but he popped it in his pocket anyway. He got to the palace and was presented to the king, showed him the wonderful pearls, which he loved, as did the rest of the court. There were deep sighs of wonder at their beauty. That, however, is when things definitely started to go wrong. The king did not really want the son of a fisherman to marry his daughter. He'd had his hopes pinned on a prince, and the fisherman's son just didn't cut it as far as he was concerned. He told the queen this, who agreed. Don't worry, she said. You could always set him completely impossible tasks that he's sure to fail. You're quite right, said the king. Hadn't even thought of that. It's been all the bustle round here lately. It's making me forget myself. So... That evening, all unaware, Jesper dined with the king and the courtiers and the other nobles on the most magnificent dinner he had ever eaten, although it didn't really take that much to impress him. Cheese and onion sandwiches were his favourite, after all. He was then given a grand bedroom, much grander than he'd ever seen. Unfortunately, both the dinner and the bedroom were very counterproductive. He couldn't sleep. He'd eaten far too much rich food and didn't know what to make of the bedroom. He was also getting quite nervous about what the task might be tomorrow, so didn't actually sleep a wink, even though the bed was the most comfortable one he'd ever sat on. Morning came at last, and after breakfast, the king took him to show him the first of his tasks. The king led him out to the barn, where there was a huge pile of grain in the middle of the floor. Sort those, he said, into barley, oats and rye. You have until sunset today to complete the task, Otherwise, you must give up any hope of marrying the princess. He walked away, locking the door. The clunking sound of the lock seemed very loud in the now very quiet room. He was in despair. He knew there was absolutely no way he was going to be able to manage this. But he did walk over to the heap and at least try to separate out of the grains. But it was truly impossible without help. And he wasn't allowed any help. Well, help that could get in through the door anyway. Suddenly... He remembered a creature that he'd helped that probably could get under the door. He called out, Please, King of the Ants, you know you said you'd help me. Well, now I really need you to help me. Before long, his Ant Majesty appeared. Hello, Jesper explained his problem. Is that all? said His Majesty. Don't trouble yourself about that. That's a simple problem to solve. At his royal signal, an army of ants descended on the barn. 
as his aunt majesty was a kind man i'm assuming it probably wasn't the ones that had been in the battle the day before jasper sat and watched the ants sorting the three grains into three piles but the movements of the ants was mesmerizing and as he'd had no sleep the night before he curled up in the corner of the barn and had a snooze when he awoke it was to see that sunset had come and the king was in the barn he was marvelling that Jasper had had time to sort the piles and had even found time for a snooze. The king was a bit annoyed that Jasper had actually managed to complete the task, but he wasn't too worried. He got an even harder task for the next day. Jasper was, was in agreement with the king that the task was even harder. Have you ever heard the phrase herding cats? Well, the task that Jasper had was nearly as bad cats at least being relied upon to have a sleep occasionally. Jasper's task was herding. The king had rounded up, or rather his servants had rounded up, a hundred hares in a big cage on wheels, and they had taken it to a field to which they had brought Jasper. If any of these hundred hares escape, then you lose any chance with the princess, said the king, not even hiding his glee as he opened the cage door and the hares scampered out. The hares went everywhere. They definitely didn't stay in the field. Some of them were gone in the blink of an eye. The king looked around at the hares, or what was left of them, smirked and walked away, just leaving a servant behind a bush just to keep an eye on things, just in case. Now Jasper thought this was definitely worse than the grains. He had absolutely no idea what to do. There was absolutely no point trying to chase just one of the hares, which would be miles away by now. He still wouldn't have all of the other hares. He stood there, looking up at the sky, shoved his hands deep in his pockets, desperately trying to think if he knew of any way to catch the hares, or any other solution to the problem. He suddenly felt something hard against his hand and pulled it out of his pocket. It was the whistle that the lady had given him on his route to the palace. He didn't imagine it would really work, but, you know, pretty thought it was worth a try. He wouldn't be any worse off. And it worked. Suddenly, instead of hares running away, he found hares bounding towards him. There were hares everywhere. The whole field was full of hares. Eventually, they sort of settled around him in a big circle, in a somewhat expectant fashion. The servant, who was behind a bush, who had been hoping for a quiet afternoon, roughly having a bit of a laugh at a man trying to catch hares, suddenly realised that it probably was his duty to go back to the palace and tell the king what was going on. The king didn't really know what to do, so he headed off to his wife to tell her the news. She was generally much better at plans than he was. While Jasper was sitting in the field, surrounded by hares, really wondering what he was going to do next and whether anyone would bring him any lunch, a girl appeared. She was dressed quite shabbily in the peasant dress of the country. She looked at him, surrounded by hares, and said, I wonder if you can help me especially since you seem to have so many hares. Visitors have turned up for dinner, and we really don't have anything to feed them, mostly because we're very poor, but also because, as I said, they were unexpected. Is there any chance you could give me one of your hares? Jasper had to say no, unfortunately. They weren't really his hares to give away. But the girl asked lots of times, and she did seem very desperate. A lot depends on me having all of these hares, he said. So I definitely couldn't let you have them for free. But she begged again, and, and this isn't a very good reflection of his character, but as she was a very pretty girl, 
Jesper agreed that she could have one for a peck on the cheek. She didn't seem very thrilled with his method of payment, but did go ahead, pecked Jesper on the cheek, took a hair and walked away. Jesper sat and waited about five minutes and then blew on his whistle. The hair wriggled away from the girl, who was further away than you'd have thought by now, and bounded back to the field. Jesper had all his hairs again. Time carried on. Jesper was still wondering if anyone would bring him some lunch. And then, an older lady appeared. She also seemed to have unexpected guests for dinner. She wondered if Jesper could let her have two of the hairs. He was very reluctant, as he explained to the lady, a lot depended on him having all of the hairs of the evening. She was, however, quite insistent. So he agreed she could have one if she would walk around him in a circle, cackling like a hen and looking up at the sky as she walked. The lady was not inclined to do this, but, as Jasper said, she's the one that wanted the hair. So she agreed to do it, muttering to herself about what her neighbours would say if they saw her. She circled Jasper, cackling like a hen, well, not particularly well, but she gave it a try, looking up the sky. Jasper handed over two hairs when she'd finished, even though, to be quite honest, the cackling really wasn't very good. She seemed strangely pleased with herself and walked her away from the field, holding onto her hairs by the ears, which I don't think is actually a very kind way to carry them. Jasper left it ten minutes this time and then blew on his whistle. The two hairs with a woman did a huge wriggling leap and bounded back to the fields in Jasper, so her substandard cackling had been in vain. Jasper carried on waiting. It did feel like sunset was a long way away, and he was still waiting on that lunch. He was starting to despair of it, though, to be honest. He was hoping that maybe they'd give him some dinner when he got back to the palace. At that moment in his musings, a rather stout man appeared in the corner of the field, heading towards Jasper and the hares. The man requested one of the hares. He didn't mention it was for dinner, but he didn't really see any other thing you could do with a hare, to be honest. The man asked and asked and asked and asked Jasper for a hair. In the end, Jasper gave in. However, he said to the man, if you're going to have one of my hairs, then I really need you to do something for me first. The man looked a little bit suspicious. What exactly do you want me to do? Well, said Jasper, I'm going to need you to stand on your head and then waggle your legs in the air. What? I'm not doing that. Well, said Jasper, you're the one that wants the hair. The man seemed really unhappy about it, and he offered money instead, but Jasper said no. It was standing on his head, wiggling his feet around in the air, or nothing. Eventually, it dawned on the man that it was that or nothing, and that Jasper was serious, so he had, well, let's be honest, if not very kind, it took him at least five goes to do it. And he wasn't spectacularly good at it when he did do it, but Jasper said fine, he'd done it, and he could have the hair. The man took off, practically running from the field. And Jasper, well, he waited, well, 15 minutes this time before he blew his whistle. The hare did a big jump and a wriggle, escaped from the man and bounded back to the field, just like the others before him. Nothing else happened for the rest of the long afternoon. No one did bring him any lunch. He was starting to think he might be better off at the fisherman's hut, or at least he got his favourite cheese and onion. But eventually sunset fell, and the king arrived. 
clearly really not very happy. He made Jasper count every single one of those hairs back into the cage. And then he opened the door and let them all go again, saying to Jasper, well, I suppose you've completed your task. Jasper got to stay in the palace for another night. He did at least get his dinner, which he was thrilled about. And then he got to sleep in the big bed. This time he did sleep, so it wasn't completely wasted on him. The next morning, the king had called the whole court to the big throne room, which he didn't use very often, but thought this was the perfect setting for his last and final task. He was really pleased with himself. He thought there was absolutely no way that Jasper was going to be able to get the better of him over this one. Jasper stood there whilst a big tub was brought in and placed in front of the king. Now, said the king, you must tell us as many undoubted truths as will fill up that tub, or you won't be marrying the princess. But how are we to know when the tub is full? said Jasper. Don't you worry about that, said the king in a smug fashion. That's my business. Now, everyone else thought this seemed really unfair. But sadly, as we know, life isn't fair. And equally, no one wants to be the first person to say anything about it. No one wants to deal with a grumpy king. So, Jasper put a brave face on it and began his story. Yesterday, when I was herding hares, a very pretty girl came to me in a peasant dress and begged me for a hair. She got the hair, but she had to give me a kiss for it. My first undoubted truth is that that girl was the princess. He looked towards her, and she had to admit that it was the truth. Although she did look rather uncomfortable. That hasn't filled much of the tub, said the king, looking unimpressed, but secretly feeling quite cross inside. Jesper began again. After that, he said, an older woman came and begged me for two hairs, saying that she needed them desperately for dinner. I did give her the hairs, but only after I'd made her circle round me, cackling like a hen, and looking up at the sky. So, here's my second undoubted truth. That woman was the Queen. The Queen turned red and looked very embarrassed, but she couldn't deny it. Hmm, said the King. That is interesting. But the tub isn't full yet. He whispered to the Queen. I didn't think you were such a fool. Well, what did you do for the hair? She whispered in return. Jasper continued his story. Finally, he said in the big queue of people that seemed to want hairs yesterday afternoon, there came along a stout older fellow. He was very dignified and proud, but in order to get the hair, he stood on his head and waggled his feet in the air, even if it did take him five times before he could do it properly. Jasper said a little unkindly, although this was not normally part of his character, but he was getting quite grumpy by this stage. Anyway, my third undoubted truth is that that old fellow was the stop stop shouted the king you didn't say another word the tub is full the whole court applauded and the king and queen accepted jasper as their son-in-law and much more importantly the princess who was starting to really like jasper by this stage also accepted him his cleverness being much more important than his handsomeness although that didn't hurt anyway when the king got time to think about it he's quite convinced the kingdom would be safe in jasper's hands especially if he looked after the people as well as he'd herded the hares. And that is the end of my story. May fortune preserve you, gentle listener. May your days be filled with constant joys, and I hope my story pleased you, for it had no other purpose. I love this story. 
It's definitely what we call a jacktail, even though the hero's name is Jesper in this instance. He has all the hallmarks, a younger brother, annoying elder brothers, winning by cleverness and tricks. In this case, Jack is also kind and helpful, and generous to old ladies and small creatures, which helps him win the day. It's yet another example of how giving away your lunch can result in gaining a kingdom. We also see the recurring themes of setting seeming impossible tasks, as in the gifts of the magician. This king, though, is much more reasonable, and the penalty for lack of success does not result in death, thus allowing the king to revel in his own cleverness without a twinge of conscience. This tale has another clever queen, even though her plans do go awry this time. Hairs obviously play a large part in this story, they however don't seem to have a folkloric significance in this tale. They are here more just as an example of a creature that's hard to control. Another fairy tale theme is the task of sorting grain. It's unusual here that it's given to a male protagonist. Being more usual a task for a heroine of tales, see Cinderella, the ability to sort grain is almost an analogy for displaying the faculty of judgment, and here it also demonstrates a moral that kindness to small helpless creatures or strangers is often of great benefit. Grain here is a symbol for food, the desire for a good harvest that forms the root of many a fairy tale. This desire was very recognisable to the original audience for the tales. In particular, are often a feature in the stories of Northern Europe, as oats are less susceptible to damage by heavy rainfall and lack of sun than grains such as wheat. They were the last of the major cereal grains to be domesticated around 3,000 years ago in Europe, and apparently originated as weeds that grew within cultivated fields of various other crops. Part of the reason why people were so to embrace oats is because they go rancid very quickly due to the presence of natural fats and a fat-dissolving enzyme present in the grain. As a result, they have to be processed immediately after harvesting. In Samuel Johnson's dictionary, oats were defined as eaten by people in Scotland, but fit for only horses in England. A Scotsman who taught to this is that's why England has such good horses and Scotland has such fine men. And so, finally, to today's recipe. It was either going to have to be hair-based, grain-based, or given Jesper's taste, a recipe for a cheese and onion sandwich. I imagine you can all make a cheese and onion sandwich, and I couldn't bring myself to encourage the heating of such a special animal as a hare, so grain it'll have to be. I only know one recipe for barley, and that's a risotto that I wasn't that keen on, so we won't do that. Oats it is. I considered porridge, but there are so many recipes, and frankly I wasn't in the mood to get excited about it. Maybe when the weather's a little colder. So, finally, the recipe for this week is apricot flapjacks, the oat-based bar as opposed to the American strict Canadian pancake. I've been eating this since I was a child. It's an unusual recipe as it has a squidgy filling layer of apricot rather than the apricots chopped through. You can use a different dried fruit if you're not keen or just leave it out altogether, but it does add a touch of luxury and sharpness to cut through the sweet oat mixture. It's great for breakfast or as a snack, and it'd be perfect to give to any old ladies you happen to come across when out walking, even if you're not trying to win a princess. As always, the recipe and some more information about the history of the recipe and the story are available on my blog. The link is in the show notes, or you can just navigate straight to hestierskitchen.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope to have you back next week for another episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales. (laughs) 